Welcome to Nightmares and Grief, a place to explore and celebrate the darkness. Each episode, I'll read stories written by me, Derek Heisey. So settle in, check under the bed, and pour a drink for the skeletons in your closet. It's time to start. All Roads Lead to Hell When Johnny got his driver's license, we used to drive out to the Pine Barrens to get drunk. The four of us were angry teenagers, and alcohol provided us with adequate cover to express the oppressive angst which weighed on us like heavy chains. The very state of the world upset us. We felt as if there were nowhere that we could fit because it felt like everything worth taking part of was either corrupt or collapsing, and the prospect of building up new worlds just seemed it just seemed exhausting. It seemed counterproductive. It just wasn't worth the effort. Given that we could only express these ideas while our minds were pickled in a brine of Pabst and Mickey's, they didn't exist in our conscious realm of thought. But rather their shadows guided our actions, guided our likes, our dislikes, our hopes, dreams, and fears. You could hear this unspoken vow of self-destruction in our voices when we talked about old movies like SLC Punk and Donnie Darko. We felt so insignificant in the face of all the world's problems, not even mentioning our own, that we wanted our demise to be tragic and insignificant. Whenever I was in the Pine Barrens, I hoped the entire generation would die of accidental firework wounds or alcohol poisoning in the back seat of an outdated Ford Fiesta. I knew fentanyl was our ticket to pubescent martyrdom, but we could never get our hands on any. Some people, you know, just get all the luck. So we spent a lot of time posted in the middle of the Pine Barrens, 30 minute walk from the car trying our damnedest to get shit faced on stolen malt liquor and swiped cans of our dad's light beer. Once, Smitty managed to jack a fifth of Canadian mist, and that's when the party started. It was the first time he'd ever proven useful, and I couldn't imagine the kind of balls he had to muster to swipe it. He must have known that this was his night. Tonight, we wouldn't talk shit about him, wouldn't make up bullshit just to bully him. He had to know that tonight, that fifth of shitty whiskey made him a god. I remember drinking and losing control for the first time in my life, thinking, of course. Everything was just so clear. I felt like I'd cracked open a window into the inner workings of the universe. Things were bad, so people drank. Things are more okay when you drink, so nothing ever gets better. I thought about my mom keeping whatever schedule she wanted, doing whatever the hell she did with whichever boyfriends she had at the time. I thought about how she'd pass out on Jack Daniels and I drank deep, grieving aborted dreams I'd never get to know, and I let the easy liquid confidence overtake me. The truth is, 
I was so disconnected from any belief that I'd accept anything. I was hungry for something worthy. So when Maria said we should summon the Jersey Devil, I was the first one to jump at it. It was silly, you know, like Ouija boards or, or tarot cards. The Jersey Devil didn't exist, even here, looking out on the pines. And when I looked at Johnny and Maria's faces, I, I just couldn't say no. I think about that moment a lot. I think about saying no. And I don't think I can. Even now. Even after everything, I doubt I'd ever change. Well, I took a swig of the 40, tapped it with the skull ring I'd bought at Spencer's, and asked how the fuck you even summoned the Jersey Devil. Maria had all the answers. She explained that there wasn't a sure way, but she had an idea, since it was the lead's 13th child, and it sought revenge for all the neglect, bullying, and abandonment it had experienced in its time. She said we could taunt it. She pounded the rest of her beer and climbed up onto a rotten stump. Extending her arms wide and straightening her back, she sucked in a deep breath and screamed a string of impossible obscenities. There was no way she was talking about the Jersey Devil. But I wondered who she was talking about, and when I glanced over at Johnny and Smitty, they were just as shocked. We all wondered just how much of us was in her foul exchange with the barons. Then she hopped off the stump, sat down on it, and smiled as if nothing had happened. She crushed the PBR can and kicked it into the ditch and extended her arms like a baby asking to be picked up. She said, beer me, announcing it not just to one of us, but whoever would abide. And it was me, of course, I abided. Of course I did. I was crushing on Maria harder than she'd crushed the PBR empty. She had this dangerous lilt to her, like she was in on something that was beyond our comprehension. I figured it was because her dad had a, had a brutal death when she was young. I figured that a death in the family, especially one like that, would open doors that was otherwise inaccessible to the rest of us. She moved through the world like nothing bothered her and nothing ever really did. She snatched the fifth of whiskey out of Johnny's lap, took a swig, and chased it with the PBR. Gotta take a shot, she said, if he doesn't come. Now I understood the game. I killed my own beer and switched places with Maria. I distinctly remember when I was high on the scent of her perfume and stepping onto the stump, that this was the best night of my life. I imitated Maria's posture, extending my hands like Christ the Redeemer and felt like that was powerful. I thought about the ugly expressions Maria had spewed into the barons and thought about my father. I thought about a day over a decade ago, which I barely understood. I thought about my crying mother and how she drank too much. I thought about all the nights I stayed up late, checking my texts, refreshing messenger, hoping I'd hear from her at 1 a.m. I thought about everything that made me the person I was at that moment, and I thought about everyone responsible, and then it was easy. It was so fucking easy I opened my mouth 
and let it go. I let the Jersey Devil take what all those people couldn't. I let the bastard 13th son of Mrs. Leeds take all the hate, bile, and resentment I'd stored inside of me, and I let him take the hate I knew I'd have next week, too. I let him take it all. When I was finished, sweat dripped off of my chin. The barons were so silent that I heard it thud against the stump. It didn't make everything all right, but it made everything better. I wondered if Maria knew somehow, if she'd read about this somewhere and had masterminded the whole thing. Whatever the reasons, when I turned around, I didn't flop to the stump like she had. I felt invigorated. I felt powerful. Powerful in a way I don't think I'd ever felt in my whole life. And I don't think I've felt ever since. It was a clear and tranquil sense of agency. Something that, honestly, I didn't think I was allowed to have. I thought I was here to serve other people's stories, but there, drunk on shit whiskey, standing on a stump in the Pine Barrens, I was finally the main fucking character. So I waited. I dared the motherfucker to come. Let's go, I thought. Now or never. What are you waiting for, you ugly son of a bitch? Silence was satisfying. Reaffirming. But just as I broke my posture, a snap came from the woods beyond. I think about that sound a lot these days. I think about how I would have reacted if it had come when Maria went up there or if Johnny had gotten up there instead and I'd heard it then. I play that snap over and over and over in my head and I can say that I'm grateful it happened when it did. Because when I heard it, It filled me with rage. That was completely unexpected. A wiry kid like me? Fuck it. I couldn't afford to get angry. I'd gotten whiskey bottles thrown at me for getting angry. But that night, rage was the only thing I could feel. It radiated off of me, and I swear the others could feel it. I was so mad at so many things for so long that I wanted an excuse to break something in half, and if I died in the process, there was a part of me deep, deep in there that said that was a perfectly acceptable trade. I screamed into the darkness, Let's go, motherfucker! I'll take you and the other twelve! Out of the trees emerged a being. 
It was so fucking awkward. It stood upright on these ugly, spindly toothpick legs and had these big, heavy hooves that clopped on whatever they could. It had the forward-leaning torso of a deer and the head of a goat slithering through the air on the end of a long, thick neck that reminded me of an anaconda. The huge, curling ram's horns were framed from behind by a tiny pair of useless bat wings. It raised up higher, opened its snout, and let out a pathetic bleep, scrabbling at the air with its atrophied claws. Johnny lunged backwards and tripped on a rock. He cried out when he landed ass first on a pile of sticks and immediately scrambled backwards. The rocks, twigs, and dirt cackled about him as he kicked them away in a mad dash to escape it. When he backed into a tree, he hyperventilated, wept, and threw stones. And it did not like that. The creature spread its little rake-thin wings and flexed digits like it was a boxer warming up its hands. It flapped with great effort a few times and then, with a hop, it took to the air. I stumbled backwards and watched it loom low overhead, almost like a suspended jump. Then it dropped out of the sky like a boulder. It landed on Johnny. All 600-something pounds, cutting off his scream mid-pitch with a wet, loud crunch. Maria reached for a rock, but it whirled around before she could lift it. Even with its atrophied arms, the claws must have been heavy. The first one cracked across her face, and the other just missed her jaw when she went down. Looking at her, I thought her jaw was probably dislocated. I saw a big stick. A club. The thing was too slow, too awkward, so I slammed the stick into its long neck and the ugly goat's head screamed dull bleats as it dropped limply off the deer's shoulder. I brought the club to the backward joint of its leg and the beast collapsed, but I kept going. And going. And going. Its sounds diminished. Once bulbous and frightening, they tapered into sad, broken, begging cries, and I didn't stop. I didn't stop until Maria put a hand on me. I startled and dropped the club. I tasted blood and worried I'd bit my tongue, had a seizure, I I don't know, until Maria took off her hoodie and wiped the blood off my forehead and cheeks. Bringing my hands into my field of vision, I saw them shine. I licked my lips and tasted blood again. All that remained of the creature at my feet was a busted, bloody pulp of matted fur and sharp bone protrusions. The tension in my muscles snapped. I sat down on the stump. Maria hugged me and said I did a good job. She told me it was over. I stared at the corpse and swallowed more of its blood. I couldn't look at Johnny. I'd heard the sound, and that was enough. 
Whatever was there, it wasn't Johnny. I didn't say it, but Maria seemed to understand. She held me close and said she was proud of me. I cried for a long time, but I couldn't tell you why. Not even now. There were so many things to grieve. Maria handled everything. I, I barely even remember the things we did because I was so dazed. I do remember finding a creek and washing off. I remember ditching Johnny's car. I guess the three of us walked back to the main road in the rain, found a gas station. I remember drinking a Mountain Dew and passing it to Maria, but not to Smitty. I remember the awkward Uber ride back to my house and saying goodbye to the both of them. Maria said she'd text me. I lay awake in bed, waiting for that text. I waited and waited, but I don't know when I fell asleep. Maria and I connected more deeply after that. The night I killed the Jersey Devil, I, I must have seen what she already had. The danger she carried appeared familiar now, and I wondered about her dad. Others seemed to see it in me, too. We never told anyone, nobody, about what happened in the Pine Barrens that night. Didn't even hint about it. Didn't even mention it among each other. But still, everyone knew. Seas of bodies parted in the hallway as I walked. People let me go in front of them in the 20 items or less lane at the supermarket. Nervous gas station attendants didn't make eye contact when I asked for a pack of smokes. I was transformed. I liked it. Who knew that opening the door to violence was all it took to get what you wanted? A week later, I had a dream that I was in the barrens again, walking through the rough undergrowth barefoot. The rain soaked through my pajamas and hair. I slipped on a slick patch of fallen pine needles and flung a hand out against the sharp edge of a broken branch to steady myself. The branch tore across the palm of my hand, and when I looked at it, hot blood oozed out of the gaping wound, washed away with the pouring rain. I thought about the monster that I'd killed. I thought about its blood. I thought about how much of it I'd swallowed before I managed to get clean. I brought the wound to my mouth and sucked. When I woke up that morning, my hair was wet, my hand bandaged, and I had a million weird texts from Maria just garbled nonsense in some weird, messed-up font. I scrolled and scrolled and scrolled and couldn't find a single normal text from her. According to the timestamps, they all came between 2.22 and 3.33 a.m. that night. She, she didn't answer my calls. They went straight to voicemail, so I started panicking. But she was at school like everything was fine. 
she asked me about my hand and I, I didn't know what to say. My guts screamed that she knew she was either crazy or lying. I, I told her about the text and she heard the panic in my voice because she took a big step backwards. She showed me her phone and there was nothing. I scrambled over my pockets to pull out mine, and when I opened our text, it was completely empty. Nothing. Like we'd never texted in our whole lives. Maria put a hand on my shoulder and squeezed. She said I should get some sleep. The headache started that day in sixth period. History. Miss Franger was talking about Philadelphia settlers, and I'd normally be distracted by her body and the tight skirt she always wore, but that day, it was the pain in my skull. It was pointed, specific, two spots on opposite sides near the back of my head like a pressure. I swore I felt bumps. I rubbed and rubbed, seeking what I thought I could feel but couldn't know. Maria met me in Rittenhouse Square after school. I had her feel my head where I felt the ache, but she said she didn't feel anything. I asked her if she'd brought her water bottle because I, I'd blasted through mine and my mouth was still rough and dry like a salt flat. I asked her if she thought I was crazy. I asked her if she thought something was happening to me. She said she didn't understand it, but that in her experience, there was no limit to the insanity of the natural world. She told me how she'd seen this documentary about chimpanzee troops waging war against each other. The victorious troop used shards of chimp skulls to scoop out the brains of its dead opponents. She said the only difference between us and the chimp were our Chuck Taylors. Whatever was happening to me was either in my head or it was natural, she said. I did not understand what she was saying, but I noticed that she kept pulling her sleeves over her wrists, so I figured she was dealing with her own problems. We pivoted to gossip. Smitty had gotten his face pushed into the toilet again. We'd hear about it tonight on the Minecraft server. That night, my mom was whacked out before dinner time. She'd gotten a manager's special beef round that she was so proud of. She was going to make pot roast and potatoes, but forgot to cook it before she had a few celebratory Jack and Cokes. It wasn't the first time I'd have to cook for her, and... You know, it wasn't going to be the last. I peeled off the plastic wrap and there was something so soothing about the sound. It reminded me of wet skin. Almost immediately, the smell of meat and blood hit my nose and made me dizzy like how I'd been drunk at the Pine Barrens and I felt myself get hard when I saw the smears of blood on the plastic and how the blood glistened on the meat and I knelt before it on the counter. I brought my face close to it. Brought my nose close to it. It was 
was so red, like a ruby when it catches the light just so, and its wet, musky scent overwhelmed me. I opened my mouth, filling it with the dank stink of blood, and if you can get goosebumps on your tongue, that's what happened to me. I sank my teeth into the raw beef and sucked. It was like I'd been dying of thirst and finally had water. I sucked on the blood, licking it off the styrofoam tray, my fingers, my lips. I sucked every last drop I could, and for the very first time in a long, long time, I was so happy. When I logged on with Maria and Smitty, my cheeriness drew their attention. I told them that it was just because my mom was asleep and it was quiet told them the peace was nice. I had no dreams that night. I slept deeply. I never told Maria about the roast. I didn't think she took what I was going through seriously, and anyway, there wasn't any way I could help her with what she was dealing with, so I left it at that. I left it unspoken, Lingering, but ignored, like cigarette smoke from the apartment next door when you leave a window open. Nothing to do about it. I didn't feel bad again for another few days. I lasted through the week, but Friday, it was really bad. Like the worst hangover I've ever had. I peered through bleary eyes and struggled to focus through the thoughts of blood, the smell, the color, the way it eased my discomfort. I knew my mom was going to be out that night, so I invited Smitty over. I, I lied about Maria, said she was busy with something else, some, I don't know, family thing with her mom. I heard the disappointment in his voice, but then I told him about the bottle of rum I'd swiped and the rack of Cokes in the fridge. That was all it took. We watched shitty horror movies and drank. I took a few shots with him, but otherwise, I only drank the Coke. I pretended to pour rum in. I'd pour Smitty a drink first, and then I'd pretend to load mine up. Smitty was a lightweight. Couldn't hold his bladder and held his liquor even worse. Midway through Tokyo Gore Police, he started crying. He said he needed this. He said that everyone treated him like some outlier. Like a satellite of life, not big or important enough to have his own orbit. He was invisible among his brothers and sisters. The only thing that made him stand out was the freak accident of his red hair, and that's what always got him into trouble. He said people never saw him unless they wanted someone's ass to tan, and then they honed in on him. But me? He said I made him feel special tonight. He passed out before I could queue up killer clowns from outer space. I poked him a few times. 
saying his name softly to make sure he was asleep. Then I turned off the movie and got the paring knife from the kitchen. I just needed a little. I just needed enough to get me through until I figured this out. I knew it was messed up. I knew that even dumb, ugly Smitty didn't deserve this, but I was desperate. I cut a slit across his palm. I squeezed the flesh around it so the blood oozed. My heart beat faster. I brought my mouth to the wound and sucked. It was hot. It was fresh. It was so much better than the roast. I don't know how long I sucked on Smitty's blood, but I know it was longer than I'd planned. When I finally tore myself away from the wound, I bandaged him up and hid in the bathroom to cry. I ran my fingers through my hair, and when they reached the back of my head, I felt them. Two sharp bumps. Like horns. Whenever I was hit with the thirst, I thought about that night with Smitty, but I, I knew I couldn't do that again. He knew something had happened, and my lie that he'd cut his hand when he was shit-faced didn't fly. He drifted away from our group, and pretty soon, it was just Maria and I, and Maria was always distracted. She said she didn't have time for Minecraft anymore. I don't know what she did with her time. She wouldn't open up. I learned that I could buy pig's blood from butcher shops. I started running errands and odd jobs so I could pay for it. I'd heat a tub of it up in the microwave and mom was out doing whatever the hell it was she was doing. And then I'd drink and drink and drink. But it was getting bad. It was getting really bad. Pig's blood wasn't cutting it. My dreams were getting ugly and red, and I thought about all the blood I drank in the Pine Barrens. My hands shook all the time. A plan started to form in my mind, but... But I but I, I didn't I didn't have an opportunity until it fell in my lap one day. I got a text from Smitty. He said he needed to talk, but he needed to talk somewhere private. He he wanted to know if he could come over. I lied. I told him my mom was gonna be here tonight, but I could sneak out. He asked where we should meet, and I told him the Pine Barrens. Like, like the old days, I told him. I'd even bring some beer. My mom's newest boyfriend had left a six-pack of IPAs in the fridge, and I'd bring that over. Smitty thanked the Lord. He said he could use some alcohol. When we met, 
He hugged me and immediately started crying. He said he was sorry that he stopped hanging out, that I was the best friend he'd ever had, and that he needed my help. He said that once we stopped hanging out, he'd, he'd met this girl, and long story short, she was pregnant and Catholic, and he needed my help. I plied him with beer and we talked. Smitty may have gotten laid, but he hadn't developed a better tolerance. He was slurring halfway through the second beer. By the end of the third, it was time. I went to the car, pretending like I wanted to get something to show him, and got the knife and the rope. It took him time to process what he was seeing, and by then it was too late. I whacked his temple with the butt of the hunting knife and tackled him. Then, with poor, skinny Smitty pinned beneath my knees, I rolled up one of my sleeves and opened a vein. I thought about the people who started everything. I thought about all the people I'd imagined the night I screamed at the Jersey Devil. I thought about Mrs. Leeds damning her 13th child. I thought about how 30 years from now there'd be a little boy thinking about me and screaming my name at the edge of the Pine Barrens, damning me for what I'm doing now. You can't escape it, I thought, pumping my fist and watching the blood drip across Smitty's face, splattering into his mouth. You can't escape the drain. We are all spiraling down the same drain. All roads lead to hell. When I was certain that he drank enough to take the curse from me, I tied him to a tree and gagged him. No one would find him until the curse took over, and by then, he would find them. And you know what? It worked. The horns stopped growing. I never again suffered the thirst. And no one has ever heard from Smitty again. But they say... If you roam the Pine Barrens, cursing your misfortune, you'll still encounter the Jersey Devil. Thank you for sharing my nightmares and helping me carry the grief. If you enjoyed the show, please share your favorite nightmare with a friend or family member. Don't forget to leave a rating. Remember to subscribe and turn on notifications. If you'd like to go the extra mile, you can join my Patreon for $3 a month and you can cancel at any time. Or you can buy my book on Amazon. I've put links to both in the description. I'd love to connect with you on Instagram, Facebook, or Threads. Just look for Nightmares and Grief and you'll find me. Thank you for sharing this time with me. Good night. <laughs>